We come to our sermon text, John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. You can look at that in your Bibles, on your phones, or on the screen here in front of you. So brothers and sisters, hear God's word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we do ask that this morning you would reveal your son to us as we go through this story here in John chapter 21, that you would help us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and that you would prepare us to receive from your word this morning. And we pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we arrive at a fascinating encounter between the risen Lord Jesus and his disciples in the last chapter of John's gospel. Just to give a little bit of context, look down with me to the section right before ours at the end of chapter 20. I'm going to read this out for us. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right here, John provides the purpose for his gospel. Everything written before that was intended to call the reader to believe in Jesus and have life in his name. His aim is stated very clearly. And the focus of chapter 20 itself was all about belief. 
John and Peter run to the tomb. John believes. Mary hears Jesus' call. Mary believes. Jesus appears to the disciples in the locked room, and they believe. Jesus appears before Thomas, proves himself that he is risen from the dead, and he believes and, and confesses, my Lord and my God. Chapter 20 is all about believing in the risen Lord. It seems like those verses I just read from chapter 20 are a fitting conclusion to his gospel. So in essence, he's confronted us with the life, with the death, and with the resurrection of Jesus so that we would believe in him and find life in him. So why continue on in chapter 21? Well, John gives this story because he wants to strengthen and solidify this belief into a confident knowledge in the risen Lord. John's pen keeps writing into chapter 21 because he wants to reassure those who have first believed. More simply, John wants to reassure us in the reality of the resurrection. That's why we come to this text. Because he wants to reassure each and every one of us in the reality of the resurrection. And wrestling with this text today, it's very fitting for one week after Easter. See, last week it was this grand celebration, wasn't it? The high point for God's people during the year. We declared this truth that Jesus was risen. We confessed that together. We celebrated that together. We gathered with friends and family to encourage one another. But I wonder this. How quickly was the high of Easter met with the lows of life? You see, these disciples, they were just at these feasts in Jerusalem, and they had these first encounters with Jesus raised from the dead. And here we have, just a few days later, they're in the dark, they're on the sea, it's a miserable night, and they're struggling with no success. The high of Easter moved into the low, mundane struggles of life. For us, College Church, last week we we sang the Hallelujah Chorus. The Jesus banners were outside our church, waving, shining brightly. It was a beautiful, joyful day. The high of Easter But I wonder as you walked in this morning, what lows of life did you face this week? Maybe as you went back to the daily grind of work, you you felt a sense of purposelessness. Maybe you began to experience a sense of emptiness in your heart. Some of you are carrying the weight of sadness and the weight of loss as you sit here this morning. And all of us are carrying the weight of this disorienting effect of COVID and the social tensions that we face daily. Well, maybe these realities have not hit you yet, but you know it's only a matter of time before you face the struggles of a difficult season. Friends, it's it's, it's one thing to declare on Easter Sunday that the Lord is risen, but what will reassure us of the reality of the resurrection in our moments of emptiness or confusion or purposelessness? How can we more confidently know in the days of struggle that which we first believed? The disciples needed reassurance from Jesus. And Jesus would reveal himself to strengthen and secure this belief that they had initially. 
as it was with the disciples after the first Easter Sunday, so too with College Church one week after Easter. There is no Jesus banner outside our church today. But John's text here is to reassure us that Jesus is still risen. So as we're going through John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14, we're going to walk through the story, and then we're going to talk about its significance. The story and its significance. And the story, we'll see this miserable night moving to a miraculous catch, ending with a meal on the beach. Look down at the frame of this story, though. Verse 1 and verse 14. I want you just to follow along with me as I read this. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Go to verse 14 now. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. See, three times in two verses on the bookends of our story, John is emphasizing that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. This was Jesus' initiative. And he revealed himself in this way at this time to these specific disciples. The first time was behind the locked room. The second time was to doubting Thomas. And now this third time Jesus reveals himself. In every aspect of our story here this morning, it's intended to give the reader, to give us as College Church confidence that Jesus really is risen and confidence that Jesus really is the Lord. And so we're going to take careful note of the details of this eyewitness testimony, and it's intended to stir up our confidence. So how did Jesus reveal himself? Well, he revealed himself in this way. Look at verses 1 to 3. First, it's this miserable night. The disciples are together in Galilee several days after the resurrection and these feasts in Jerusalem. They're back home, and Peter the fisherman makes this statement, I'm going fishing. (laughs) And John, he lists seven disciples who head out onto the Sea of Tiberias with him, seven total. Some interpret this response by the disciples as as some sense of abandoning their calling or some sense of disobedience to Jesus, but the story doesn't really lead us in that direction. It doesn't give us those kinds of details. In fact, Jesus told them in Matthew 28 to go to Galilee. These fishermen, they're back home, they're waiting, and they're doing what they know what to do, know how to do. Yet this fishing expedition it turns very quickly into a miserable night of work. They catch nothing. They're sitting in the dark of night. They're casting their nets into the sea time after time after time. Empty nets after empty nets after empty nets. Their work is not bearing fruit. Their night is only met with struggle The hopes of nets full of fish are replaced with hearts full of frustration because of this miserable night out on the sea. They caught nothing. And put this scene side by side with what happened just days earlier. The disciples, the high of the empty tomb, and now they're on the sea with the low of these empty nets. Miserable night. How often do you sit here in this same place as these disciples. Frustration in life. 
fruitlessness in your work, struggles in your pursuits, the grind of life is wearing on you. This morning is your livelihood very low. Maybe your expectations for life and ministry are not being met. How quickly did these realities hit you this week, one week after Easter Sunday? How often are these experiences that the disciples are going through flooding your own mind? Well, friends, Jesus chooses to reveal himself and meet his disciples in this very miserable, frustrating, unsettling moment. And the Lord Jesus intends to meet us in our miserable, mundane struggles as well. The story moves, though, in verse 4. This miserable night moves into a miraculous catch. I love verse 4, this beautiful literary depiction of the impact of this entire story. And in essence, it's a depiction of the entire Christian story. Look at it again with me. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. In their moment of nothingness, emptiness, fruitlessness, and darkness, the day begins to break. And Jesus is standing on the shore. Everything that comes after the rest of the story, it's a result of the power and the presence of the risen Lord. He's raised from the dead and he's ushering in a new day. He's bringing new light. He's bringing new life. He was the disciples' hope that morning. And it offers this picture of the hope that Jesus brings and offers to the whole world. And here we have this deep tension that John is revealing for us, this tension and need of the disciples. Ultimately, they do not know it is Jesus standing there on the shore. And the reason John is sharing this story in the gospel, it's to show his disciples and how they move to this real, confident, deep knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Jesus reveals himself this third time to strengthen and to secure that which they first believed so that they would know that Jesus really is risen, that Jesus is the Lord who brings a new day, who brings new life and brings new light. But in this moment, Jesus' identity is unknown, and yet he pursues them, and he meets them, and he says in verse 5, look there with me, says, children, do you have any fish? No food yet? He knew their need, fish. He knew their problem, empty nets. And Jesus' question is met with a simple no. But he pursues them and he calls out to them. These, these professional fishermen, this man standing on the shore says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. In what seems to be just a last-ditch effort to find fish, they, they listen to this stranger on the beach. But in a complete reversal of events, their nets are immediately at capacity. So much so that it's too heavy to haul in. A miserable night full of empty nets, it's replaced with this miraculous catch, and it starts to grab their attention. And as we read this story and go through it, it's, it's helpful just to pause for a moment 
And just think about this simple observation about the power of the resurrected Jesus. He speaks the word of command to the disciples. He causes this catch to happen. His authority and his power over nature is on display, orchestrating every part of this event. Jesus is the Son of God. And as the power of the risen Son of God is revealed through this miracle, something clicks. Something clicks for the disciple whom Jesus loved in verse 7. Most certainly John, our author here of this story. You see, this expression of power must have brought John's mind back to something that happened just a, a couple years earlier at the start of their time with Jesus. Luke chapter 5 tells this account of how Jesus called Peter and John to follow him and become his disciples. They were fishing all night They had caught nothing a couple years earlier. Jesus commands and tells them, let down your nets one more time. And they do so, and those empty nets become full. They came to the shore, and Jesus called them to follow. And they left everything and followed him. You see, Jesus is not simply just revealing his power, but he is acting in power, revealing himself in a specific way, to reassure his disciples that it is truly the Lord, that he is truly their master, that he is truly risen. You see, the one that they walked off the beach for three years ago is the same Jesus that is calling out to them from the shore. The one whose word had power to fill their empty nets three years ago is the same one who has power standing on the shore. Only now, Jesus is raised from the dead. And this stirs up John, and he realizes who it is that's standing there. And he turns directly to Simon Peter, and he says, it is the Lord. This next phrase is so fascinating to me. It says, when Simon Peter heard, you see, Peter heard that it was the Lord. He doesn't see, but he hears that it is the Lord, and he responds in this way, earnestly, radically trying to be with Jesus and seek Jesus and see him. He hears this news. He clothes himself properly. He hurls himself into the sea. For many, this response could seem out of place or even comedic or funny. It's like, what in the world is this guy doing? (laughs) You could imagine the disciples also in the boat say, don't you see this amazing, amazing catch, Peter? Where are you going? What, what are you doing? But Peter heard that it was the Lord and he jumped ship, trying to get to him as fast as he could. I love how John Calvin sums this up well. He says, as John goes before Peter in faith, so Peter afterwards excels him in zeal. When disregarding personal danger, he throws himself into the lake. The act of leaving the ship and going on shore was not the result of folly or rashness, but that he had advanced beyond the others in proportion to his zeal. Peter's response is one of zeal for Jesus. It's not just a zeal on behalf of Jesus, but it's a zeal for the resurrected and risen Lord Jesus himself. Peter and John had been reassured by Jesus that he was truly risen in power and Peter zealously seeks after him because his belief in the risen Lord was strengthened 
and confirmed that morning. Our story in verse 9 through 13 moves from this miraculous catch now to this meal on the beach. You see, the other disciples, they had followed Peter and, and brought this haul of fish with them to the beach. And the story ends with this meal. And while the miracle that happened was, was jogging their memory of something that happened with Jesus three years ago on the Sea of Galilee, this same meal is reminding us of something. But first, as they enter there in verse 9, what, what we see is not just the power of Jesus, but first we see, and second, we see the, the heart of Jesus. He's the risen Lord, and here he is serving them a meal. The fire is burning. The fish are laid out. Jesus welcomes them to eat. And he even graciously invites them to to bring some of their own catch to contribute. Peter hauls in the fish in verse 12 and Jesus says these loving words, come have breakfast. Do you need this picture of Jesus this morning? He's full of power. Power enough to fill these empty nets with 153 large fish. And he does this in a moment. He is the Son of God. And here the Son of God displays himself in humility as a servant, loving and caring and providing for his disciples. Sitting over a meal with them, looking at them in the eye, in relationship. Jesus is reassuring them of his welcoming presence. He's reassuring them that he is one who will provide for them and care for them. And so in their minds, as they're sitting around this this meal with Jesus, and Jesus is serving them bread, verse 13 says, and also the fish. Their minds would have gone back to something in John chapter 6 where where they were with Jesus and they witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000 with bread. And also with the fish. Displaying and pointing to this reality that Jesus is the true bread of life and that all who come to him will find eternal life to the fullest. And so here they're sitting down. The Jesus who fed the 5,000, the bread and the fish, is the same Jesus sitting around this charcoal fire who is feeding them the bread and also the fish. Only now Jesus is raised from the dead and he still has power to provide. He still has words of eternal life to give to his disciples and those who would believe in him and follow him. See, the disciples saw this miraculous catch. They received this gracious invitation to the meal. They saw this humility around the charcoal fire and verse 12 tells us this. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. In verse 4, none of the disciples knew it was the Lord. In verse 7, Peter and John know it's the Lord. But now in verse 12, all know it is the Lord. Their faith had been reassured that Jesus truly is risen and Jesus truly is the Lord. The third time, Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, reassuring them. And also, in turn, reassuring us in the reality of the resurrection. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen. This is an amazing story. Beautiful story. 
But let's think for a moment about its significance for us here at College Church. Just two big things for us. First, this story, it gives us as believers confidence in the eyewitness testimony of the disciples. You see, we can find reassurance in the reality of the resurrection, that which we have first believed, because the disciples' proclamation, it is based on personal eyewitness account. And John goes at great lengths to describe the details of this historical moment. The names are listed in detail. John highlights Peter's response in detail. John notes the exact number of fish in detail, 153. John mentions the nets were not torn. These are not just literary devices. This is evidence that Jesus truly is risen. This was a historical encounter with the Lord. Not just once, not just twice, but a third time to these disciples who would soon become the eyewitnesses of the resurrection and the foundation of the church for years beyond, even reaching us. And the New Testament spends time arguing this historical fact. Not only is Jesus crucified, not only is Jesus raised from the dead, but Jesus appeared alive to many. Listen to this from Luke uh, in Acts chapter 1. It says this, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Friends, how often do we just stop right there? Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 believers at one time. The reality of the resurrection and Jesus' appearing to many is a matter of first importance in Paul's mind. And this morning, John's giving us confidence in the eyewitness testimony that we read by detailing this historical encounter. And these disciples, as their belief in the resurrection was was solidified and secured and strengthened, it changed everything for them. As the reality of the risen Lord sank in for them, as it was established for them, they, they then gave their entire lives to the proclamation of this truth that Jesus is raised and Jesus is Lord. And they did so even unto death, bearing witness that Jesus is the risen Lord. The disciples in John 21, they moved from this belief that they had at first to a secure knowledge of the risen Lord, sharing this testimony, and we can have confidence in the testimony that we read in the scriptures. They saw his physical body. They ate with him. They spent time with him. They listened to him. And it's intended to give us confidence in what we read. One more thing, just to highlight one connection in this story Like I said, Jesus reveals himself bodily to these disciples. They saw his power. They experienced his heart around a fire. And they were reassured that the Lord really is risen. Because he revealed himself in this historical moment on a beach. What does that mean for us 2,000 years later? Jesus is not going to reveal himself on the beaches of Lake Michigan. 
but he promises to reveal himself in the pages of Scripture. And we have this great hope in our text. Look back at verse 7 with us, John and Peter. You see, John speaks these words to Peter. He says them, it is the Lord. And it was because Peter heard them. It wasn't because Peter saw Jesus. He heard what John had said. And he rushed to Jesus. And he ran to him. His faith was was secure and strengthened because of what John had said. How comforting is that for us? Pastor Moody said this last week that Mary heard Jesus say her name. And she responded. Thomas saw Jesus. And he believed. But Jesus says this in John 20 to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This morning, John wants to reassure us in the reality of the resurrection, not because we have seen him, but because we have heard the eyewitness testimony in the scriptures about Jesus raised from the dead as our Lord. The Bible is revealing Jesus revealing his power for us, revealing his heart for us, revealing that he is Lord and he is risen. So in the lows of life, the struggles that you're facing or will face, the missed expectations, when we're tempted to walk away, what is it that's going to reassure us in the reality of the resurrection? What's going to strengthen your belief, that which you first believed, What's going to strengthen the the many who are being baptized today? We had one in this service. I think we have six or seven who are being baptized, professing their belief, belief and faith in Jesus Christ. What will assure them in the weeks to come when the lows of life hit them? We have this testimony in the Bible that reveals to us the risen Lord. It reveals his power. This resurrection power that breaks into the darkness of night and is bringing a new day and bringing life and bringing light to those in need. It's the hearing of this testimony that reveals the risen Lord who wants to provide for you and will care for you and will walk with you and welcomes you into fellowship and relationship with himself. And as you hear this proclaimed, as you read the scriptures throughout the week and you see on its pages, it is the Lord. This is the Lord. All of the scriptures bearing witness and bearing testimony to Jesus. May we be those who receive it in faith and zealously respond and want to be with Jesus just as Peter did. Friends, Jesus is risen. Jesus is Lord. Do do you know that to be true? The testimony of the Bible is proclaiming Jesus died and Jesus rose again and he appeared to many. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Son of God. Some of you this morning don't need reassurance in your faith or belief because you may be sitting here because uh, you haven't put your faith in Jesus. You haven't quite believed in him yet. I pray that you would hear the testimony of Jesus today and believe. Jesus died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to many. He even appeared to some disciples on the Sea of Galilee. 
revealing himself as the risen Lord. If you have not believed in this Jesus, would you turn to him and believe that he is the risen Lord and find life in his name? Christians, those who have first believed in Jesus, this text is intended to reassure your heart that Jesus truly is raised, that Jesus truly is the Lord, raised in power, his heart for you, in relationship, wanting to provide for you, care for you in the lows of life. The Jesus banners are no longer up, but Jesus is still raised. And may we hear daily of this truth in the Scriptures, reading it, coming to it as Jesus is revealed to us. And may we respond as Peter did with great zeal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you. We thank you that you reassure us of your son Jesus and his resurrection and all that that means for us through your scriptures, through the eyewitness testimony, and even through this story this morning. So we turn to you by faith. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.